want to begin talking about finding your way from one place to the next. Now, we just pop a GPS on our phone, turn on the screen in our vehicle, and it takes us right there. Some of us fellas in particular don't like having to depend on things of that nature. We just like to get in and go. And that's kind of like the way I am. But even though I have a good sense of general direction, <coughs> I know what's north, south, east, west, which way to turn to get those ways, whichever you want to go, right or left, my wife struggles with all that. However, I get lost just as much as she does. And the reason is she navigates by landmarks. I don't. And, uh, you know, even a GPS, at some point, you're left wondering. You know, don't you just love it when it says, in a thousand feet, turn left. And I'm thinking, at 65 miles an hour, how long does it take me to go a thousand feet? I, by the time I analyze all that, I'm 2,000 feet down there. I can't, you know, I can't get there. So even, even the general ways of navigating need to come down to the specifics. And if it's finding your way in a city that you uh, are unfamiliar with, landmarks are the ultimate way to get there. I lived here for over a year before I figured out how to go from my house to my daughter's house. <laughs> I knew how to get to the subdivision, but for some reason, I always got lost in the subdivision. Amen. <laughs> so, you and everybody else. <laughs> so my granddaughter and my wife can do it anytime. My granddaughter, she doesn't drive yet, but she can tell you how to get there. She knows the landmarks. So I figured I'd follow that. And, uh, so I picked me out a landmark. I did really well. The last year, and the other day I was coming in, it was kind of early in the morning. Someone cut the tree down. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure where it was at because I didn't have my landmarks. We need landmarks. So, what we're going to look at today are landmarks, the intricacies, the small picture, because that's the only possible way to sort out. What the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. You can buy hundreds of books probably on the subject and most all of them look at the big picture and they follow pretty much one another. There's a lot of variations but generally speaking they follow one another and to tell you the truth it's very very difficult to find any that are helpful and I've looked at a lot of them over the years. The ones that have been most helpful to me are the ones that look at the landmarks. And when I say landmarks, I'm talking about not just the context in general, but the words, and not just the words. You gotta go beyond the words. You gotta look at the grammar. You gotta figure out how the words connect and what they're telling us. So this is gonna be the most, I don't even know how, how to say, most um, intricate, detailed class on this subject. But if we get this, 
and everything else we want to talk about going forward falls in place. And if we don't get this, everything else we're going to talk about going forward is a confusion. So I apologize that we're going to be looking at things that you're probably not going to just totally grasp. And that's not because you are unable to grasp it. It's just that I've looked at this for hours. I've looked at this for, for weeks, months, years, even. So it's a little unfair for me to come in here and say, you know, here it is, and you just grab a hold of it. So um, just set, try to sit back, try to try to take it in as best you can. Go back and watch the video, take more notes, because I can't possibly get everything of the intricacies on this sheet. This is generality. This is the GPS, okay? This is the guy on the street to ask, how do you get to the next city, okay? But, uh, You'll need to, if you're really interested in the subject, you may want to rewatch the video and Matt gets it online and uh, take more specific notes because it'll be hard to keep up. Okay. That all said and done. I'm having a little trouble with my electronics this morning. I can't remember. Hook them up. Something. Here we go. We're going to move on to lesson two, which is spiritual gifts catalog. Um, that's an old that's an old word, you know. When I grew up, I grew up in a series of robot catalog, you know. And, yeah. But uh, I guess online you would call it a database. So I probably should change that. Spiritual gifts database. In other words, we want to document every spiritual gift in the New Testament to begin with. You got to begin with what they are. We'll go from there. So documenting every gift mentioned in the New Testament. That sounds like, well, that's an overwhelming task to begin with, but it's really not, because there's only three brief lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. You find one in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. You find one in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. And you find another one in 1 Corinthians 12, in verses 28 to 30. Now, there are other mentions, you know, but as far as giving us, you know, a list, there's only these three. So, you can jot this down, you've got it on your, your handout, you can go back and read them, uh, but we want to just move on and give you a quick <coughs> glimpse of what they are. And you have this also on the sheet that I handed out. Prophecy. Romans 12, 6, and also 1 Corinthians, ministry, don't, don't be thrown by that, it, uh, it's just a word for service, it's ministry with a little M, not a big M, like you're in a professional full-time ministry, but all of us are in the ministry. Uh, some of us are particularly gifted in serving. Teaching, Romans 12, 7, and, and don't, don't be thrown off base on this either. Uh, this doesn't mean, and I mentioned this last week, that um, pastors, elders, bishops, however term you want to use, should have a gift of peace. This doesn't mean that they're all going to be uh, the one who stands up and executes the scripture every Sunday morning before the congregation. There are different uses and variations of the gift. Some people use the gift of teaching one-on-one -on -one to disciple other people and do a very good job. I, 
I would struggle with that, but I'm good with dealing with other things. Uh, others, teachers in small groups. You, sometimes you, sometimes we look at the person who maybe is a pastor, senior pastor, somebody preaches every week, and we think, well, I don't have that yet, but don't, don't get tripped up over that. Exhortation, and we'll get into this when we, when we discuss this gift. It is what I believe is a gift of counseling. Uh, we want to use that modern terminology. Giving, that's pretty cut and dry. Leadership, mercy. We'll discuss that later. The word of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And the word of knowledge, I'll read the second list, 1 Corinthians 12. Faith, healings, miracles, discerning spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then finally, the gift of helping and uh, the gift of administration in chapter 17. By the way, administration, uh, number 17, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, is different in leadership in Romans 12 A lot of people who teach on this subject put them together and say that's the same gift. They're two separate words in the Greek language. They're just not the same. Okay, now you may have a lot of questions of what these are and we will go into those in the weeks ahead but that's not our task <coughs> today. So we're documenting every gift in the New Testament. We've noticed the three lists. Now, I want to mention now there are three other gifts or three other gifts, I should have put quotations around that, three other, so to speak, gifts are always included, but are rather offices, not gifts. Ephesians 4.11. Now you will see some writer, a lot of writers, especially uh, continuations writers, will include the gifts of apostleship, evangelism, and pastoring from Ephesians 4.11. Some denominations even have leaders they call apostles. I don't think that's the correct way to describe it because that's not what the New Testament does. Uh, the apostles had to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of, uh, a lot of writers, teachers, scholars will have evangelism included in their list. I will admit to you, there's a lot of people that are a much better evangelist than I am. There are people that seem to be gifted in that area. But we have to go with what the scripture says here. And I'm going to show you why. Being a pastor is not a gift. Pastoring is not a gift. Now, we'll see that pastor is the title, means shepherd. Teaching is the gift that goes with it. We're going to see that. We go to Ephesians 4. We're going to begin at Ephesians 4 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, Here's where the landmarks come out, okay? Well, this, it's very necessary to understand this. Um, Greek words, nouns, have gender, 
and number. In English, we just if we want to we want to say it's more than one, we just add an S. Well, in the Greek, they just have a particular form of the word. They don't add a add a letter to it. It's just a different form, and you can tell it's a plural. Otherwise, it's singular. <coughs> Greek nouns also have what they call a case. Nominative case means it's the subject of the sentence. And this noun right here, he gave gifts, is a nominative feminine plural. Nominative means it's the subject of the sentence. <clears throat> so the way they translate it, you don't pick that up. And gifts, he let Captain and gave gifts. It sounds like it's the object of the sentence. But in the Greek, it just simply says, gifts are given to men. Gifts given to men. That's important to understand. This is not only nominative and feminine, but Greek nouns also have gender. And I didn't put it up there. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, but the, the nominative, feminine, this is, this is feminine. Nominative, subject, feminine, versus masculine. So a lot of nouns, they use the feminine, just like we do in English sometimes. Now let's go to Ephesians 4.11. And he gave... And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers from the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying the body of Christ. Now when we look at this, it says, speaking of the Lord, he himself gave. There's the verb. And here is an article. An article is like, in English, the direct article, or the... Uh, the specific article, I forget the right terminology, V versus A, okay? If, if you say it's the biggest dog in the neighborhood, there's only one. It's the specific one you're referring to. But if you, if you say there's a really big dog in the neighborhood, the uh, the A, means he's really big, but there may be some other really big, or maybe even some bigger. It's, it's not specific. Here, It's very specific. And it's accusative in case versus nominative. Accusative means it's the object of the verb. The direct object we call it in English. So he gave, what did he give? He gave some. Some what? It, the translation is a little confusing. He gave some. It's, the translation sounds like he gave some individuals. Uh, but maybe he means some gifts. It, it's kind of ambiguous. But it is masculine. Here gifts were feminine. He's not talking about giving gifts. He's talking about giving people. The 2B is not in the original. That's why it's italicized in your Bible. It literally says in the Greek, and he himself 
gave apostles, or gave some apostles. But literally it says, I mean, he himself gave the apostles, and the prophets, and the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to the church. So they refer to offices that Jesus set up, God set up, and he provided gifted men, no doubt, to fulfill these offices. But what gift goes with what office? Pastors and teachers. The way this is understood in the original language, this is not two different offices. But these two are coupled together. So it is apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Why is it designated that way? Because pastor is the office, the shepherd. Teaching is the gift that goes with the office. But he did not provide, Paul did not provide, a corresponding gift with apostles or prophets or evangelists. But he does with the pastors. So apostles and prophets, according to Ephesians 2.20, were foundational to the church. They were there in the early days. They laid the foundation. Those offices no longer exist. They're described as foundational, Jesus 2.20. The only two that uh, continue then are evangelists and pastor teachers. Well, there's nothing said about a gift like the evangelist soul winner, the evangelist witness. It doesn't say anything like that. That's the office. And it means someone who who delivers the gospel. It's probably a reference to what we would call missionaries. That's a, it's an office. It really, we don't set it up that way or call it an office. But the missionaries we support as churches are extensions of our ministry. And that's, a, in a sense, an office. Now, you say, well, what, what gift then would an evangelist have? I suggest to you that they have the same gift that the pastor needs teaching. Let me think about what they do. And the rest of the verse supports that. He gave some apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. It doesn't say anything about winning the lost. It's assuming they're going to win the lost. But you've got to disciple those you win. Right? So for that, they need to give the teaching, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Just kind of rule out those three gifts, uh, prophets are mentioned there, we'll rule them out in another place, but uh, they rule out as well. So we've got to take those three out. Now, there's another one that a lot of teachers, writers will throw into this, and that is what they call the gift of hospitality. Now, I'm going to rule it out, but that doesn't mean I diminish the importance of it. There are lots of things that are very important responsibilities that God gave us in the scripture that are not gifts. And I believe this is one of that. Here's where it comes from. I went backwards. Here's where it comes from. First uh, Peter 4, 9 and 10. But the end of all things is hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift ministering to one another. There's the problem. If you connect 
If you connect <coughs> this, this command here, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, to the next verse, as each one has received a gift, then you conclude it's a gift. But I suggest to you that's not observing the landmarks. Because what are we looking at here? We're looking at a list. The end of all things have. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. There is one, and above all things, have fervent love for another. That's two. Number three, be hospitable to one another. Number four, whatever gift you have, use it, serve others. Number five, anyone who speaks, let him speak the word of God. That's teachers. Anyone who serves, let him do that one. It's a list. So we don't couple those two. So that's my reasoning to say that's not a gift. It's a responsibility, very important responsibility that Peter just mentioned. So beyond that 17 now, let's narrow down and talk about nine. There are what I call nine gifts that were temporary. Now, I told you last week, I'm in the vast majority worldwide to have this view. There's two views. Those that think all the gifts continue, and those that think some of the gifts passed off the scene already. But in the end, everybody agrees they all end at some point when, when, when the Lord comes and eternity is established. They're not necessary anymore. There are three in the scripture, just three, that are specifically identified as being temporary. They are all uh, identified that way in 1 Corinthians 13.8. We kind of, you know, touched on this last week. So let's look at it. Love never fails. Uh, he's talking about, that's something that never goes away. It's not like gifts. It stretches into eternity. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now just quickly, I touched on this last week. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. That's, past, that's a passive verb. Whether there are knowledge, it will vanish. That's a passive verb. In fact, the exact same verb is translated fail up here. They're both passive. Tongues, in the middle of those two, is a middle voice. The three voices in Greek and I suppose in English too. The active voice, I walked my dog. The passive voice, my dog walked me. The middle voice, I walked myself. I left the dog behind, okay? <laughs> the, the prophecies and knowledge are passive. Something is leading them, something is controlling them. The dog is leading me, I'm passive. Tongues is middle voice. Tongues comes to an end in and of itself because of its purpose, and we'll get to that when we study that particular one. Now let's move a little further here, and let's look at, <coughs> go back. Here's the conclusion. But when that which is perfect has come, it's a neutered man, then the one is apart, which he's mentioned, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, will have passed away. That's the New King James translation we're looking at. Look at the NIV. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappear. That is an accurate translation of the Greek word, which means to bring something to completion. It's not absolute perfection. 
That's not the meaning of the word. If you understand it to be absolute perfection, then you've got to connect it to the coming of the Lord. He's the only absolute perfect thing there is that's going to interact in this world, right? But it's neuter, remember? Masculine, feminine, neuter. Engender. That's neuter, so it can't be the Lord. Can't be the Lord. Now let's, let's go on. This is James 1, 4 in the New King James. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is James talking about the manifold trials we go through in life and how they, how they mold us and shape us. And they, if we endure, if we, hold, if we bear up under them and, and are faithful, then we will mature and grow as a result. And yet, the old King James translation here, even carried over to New King James, is the word perfect, just like it's used in 1 Corinthians 13.8. But we all know, none of us are going to be absolutely perfect in this world. We're not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. When we see him, we'll be like him, right? But not until then. So, a better translation of this would be but that patience have its completing work or its maturing work that you may be mature and complete and that's a that's a different Greek word that means the same thing it's a synonym of this word and complete lacking nothing it means a, it simply means a mature believer versus a babe in Christ back to first Corinthians 3 and he discusses the natural man the unsaved man talks about the babe in Christ the newborn believer he talks about the carnal Christian. He's born again, but he hasn't grown. He's still uh, fleshly. And then the mature man. Uh, I would hazard to say that we're all mature believers. We should be at least, right? Based on our age and our experience. But we're not perfect. And, and you know, we're never going to be. Now, we should be better today than we were yesterday. We should be better next year than we are today. We should be more Christ-like next month than we are now. But we're never going to get there until he comes back for us. And that's how the word's used here. Here's the NIV translation of James 1.4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking nothing. Now, that, that's a better translation. And I, I, I really like it. I like and use the New King James more than the NIV, but here the NIV gets it right. Now, the landmark goes from the tree that got cut down to the grass blades growing on the corner, okay? Just gets down there. Let's continue on. We just read, love never fails, prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish away. Four, that's a conjunction that introduces an illustration. It introduces an, an analogy. It helps us understand and modifies what he said up here. So he says, for we know in part, right now, Paul, from his perspective, Paul says, at this moment, I know in part. And he says, we prophesy in part. Prophecy is not the final word here. The, all the prophecies have not been given yet. All the scripture hasn't been written yet when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. 
but he may emphasize a gift. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. He just says, he just said right now today, Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, well before AD 100, we prophesy in part, but he said, when the perfect comes, what's in part be set aside. It'll be superseded. It'll make it, something will make it obsolete. And then he says, and here's the, here's the analogy in, in essence. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, and I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's an analogy. It's an illustration. It's a comparison. He is saying, the body of Christ, and particularly its knowledge, its revelation, is not complete. And it wasn't when First Corinthians was written. Revelation wasn't written. First John wasn't written. You know, a lot of a lot of those books weren't written yet. He says, just like when you're a child, you're on this level. When you become an adult, you're on this level. And when you become an adult, you set aside all that childishness. I wish my students at school would hurry up. <laughs> you wish your grandchildren would hurry up sometimes, right? Like I do. Uh, but when you become an adult, you set aside a lot of that. that was for living then he says four again. Same exact conjunction. He gives a second analogy. A second illustration, just to make sure he makes the point. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now, the, book, the people he was writing to, the Corinthian church, in Corinth, they made, there was a whole industry there where they made mirrors out of polished bronze. You would not want to look in the mirror and fix your hair, ladies, with polished bronze. <laughs> it's a pretty dim reflection. It was the best they had. For now you see it a mirror dimly. That's exactly what they saw when they looked in their mirror. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I've also known. Now here's where it gets confusing to a lot of people. And a lot of commentators start using chapter 13, verse 12 to interpret chapter 13, verse 8, when it's just the opposite. You've got to understand 1 Corinthians 13, 8 is the bottom line. He's just illustrating it. But let's go a step further. You noted those two conjunctions are the same, two analogies. Now, look at these two. So that I say this right. These are adjectives. I'm trying to get to my mind. Adjective and adverbs. <laughs> I, I just have struggle with grammar too. I was checking my notes to make sure I didn't say it wrong. For now, we see it in a mirror dimly. Then, there are two different <coughs> words. Now means at the present moment. You can look it up in any uh, Greek lexicon, it <coughs> at this moment. The one translated, then means at some future moment, as it is used in conjunction with the verb. 
So he says, now, this is Paul talking about when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Now we're seeing it mirror dimly. There's coming a day when we'll see face to face. Now that's not describing the perfect, the completeness of 1 Corinthians 13 8. That is describing when we go to be with Jesus. Face to face knowledge. That's why the gifts are not necessary anymore in many times. But notice he repeats again. He says, now, at the present moment, I know in part. <coughs> but then, I shall know just as I am known. But the then and the then point to the ultimate fulfillment. But he reemphasizes the analogy here using the mirror, because one day we're going to have complete clarity. The perfect, the completeness that he talked about earlier is not complete clarity. So, three are identified as temporary. Now, here's where the grass on the corner gets down to the dust <coughs> under the grass. There are six other group, other gifts that are grouped with the three temporary ones in 1 Corinthians 13a. Grouped with them, those three temporary ones into three classes of gifts. And that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Stop and think with me for a minute. He wrote 1 Corinthians 12 before he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. When you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you read chapter 12 before you read chapter 13. He's already grouped these gifts together in chapter 12. And when he comes to chapter 13, he selects three representative gifts, one from each group, to talk about in 13.8, where he says prophecies and knowledge will pass away. <clears throat> Notice with me 1 Corinthians 12.7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each man for the prophet of all, for one is given the word of wisdom. That's one on the list, remember? The one is given the word of wisdom, wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. You see the another right there? That's an adjective that means another, right? We understand what that means in English. Except it's a specific word in the Greek which means literally another of the same kind. So in verse 9, he begins with another another in English, but it's a different word in the Greek, which means another of a different kind. <coughs> so we have two, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge grouped together because they're another of the same kind. Now he gives us a second class, another of a different kind, faith, and then he connects them with the ones that says, that means another of the same kind. Same kind of healing, same kind of working miracles, same kind of prophecy, same kind of returning spirits. Then he goes back to another of a different kind. Here's a third class. Two different kinds of tongues and another interpretation of tongues. Just quickly before I move on, notice knowledge is in the first group. Prophecy is in the second group, 
and tongues is in the third group. He grouped them in chapter 12. He uses a representative of each group in chapter 13 in verse 8. Now, I broke it down for you here so that it's just a little bit more apparent. And I've inserted the of a different kind or of the same kind to help you see it. One word of wisdom to another just like it, one of the same kind of knowledge. Okay, now I'm a different group, another of a different kind, and the ones that are the same with it. And then another of a different kind, and the ones that are the same with it. The one. Of the three lists in the New Testament, Romans 12 has permanent and temporary gifts. Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12, 28 has permanent and temporary gifts. This list in 1 Corinthians 12 has all, all temporary gifts. Grouped together, connected together grammatically, and Paul uses a representative from each group in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to talk about them coming to an end. That's a whole lot harder for me to try to explain than anything else, because I'm telling you, I look far and wide for a commentary that would tell me this. And I had to go back a number of years. There are more than one, but you just don't find it in current literature. Not easy to come up with. That's a great slide. Next week, can you include it on the, on the handout? I'll tell you what, I'll probably just make a separate sheet to put it all for you. I sort of ran out of time. I thought about it. I wish I'd have done that, but my wife will be my mirror because I'll forget it. Make sure you There are the three representative ones. <laughs> Knowledge, prophecy, and words. There they are again, which printed 13, 8, and 10. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. Okay. That brings us to eight other gifts that are left in the 17th. We've ruled out nine. If the perfect is cut, the completion is cut. That gives us eight. And you say, well, why are they permanent? The only answer I can give you is because they're the only eight that is in no way connected to coming to an end or ceasing. They're not said to be temporary in any fashion. Now, believe me, there's a lot of people that would basically agree with my concept of permanent and temporary that still think some of those temporary gifts like faith in particular is one they always try to move over permanent but they're overlooking the grammatical connections to 1 Corinthians 12. So what are these eight? Well, you have them in your list. Ministry, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, administration, and helping. <coughs> 
There are gifts here for the leaders of the church, the teachers, the disciples. There are gifts here for the people that nobody notices, but they're on the same level. And they have the same importance. And we'll talk about these individually. That doesn't mean I'm going to do one per week. We'll have to do several per week, but we, we will whiz through them. I got a question for you. Which of those 17 gifts are miraculous? Don't answer the question. It's a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you for a verbal response, but ask yourself this. Which of those 17 gifts are miraculous? Well, most people would have no trouble identifying a number of those temporary gifts as being miraculous. But hardly anybody, probably, did you think about teaching as being a miraculous gift? Or exhorting? Or giving? Probably not. So what is the answer to the question? Which are miraculous? Here's my answer. All of them are miraculous. Because they all were given by the Holy Spirit. He gave you capacity. He gave you not only the capacity, but he urges you, he prompts you, he leads you to function in that capacity that he gave you. And the more you do that, the more you develop the ability to do that, the more he can use you. That's miraculous. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. And I really went back and forth in my mind how to deliver this illustration. But I thought, well, I'll just do it anonymously. Because I don't want to seem to be arrogant, because it, it, not anything that's happened to me, I didn't do it. But I, I think... For you to understand what I'm saying, you need to hear it from a personal perspective. I am basically an introvert. I'm not just basically an introvert, I'm completely an introvert. <laughs> you put me in a, in a crowd of people at a party, I'm the one in the corner. If I'm not preaching, I'll sit on the back row if I can get getting wedged in there somewhere. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, I go to Sunday school, they used to have these programs at Easter and Christmas, they put all the kids up front, they have to say a little part. I hated that. I thought that, that's got to be child abuse. <laughs> people, the talk. I never liked it. If the teacher wanted us to give a book report, I have no problem doing it on paper, but please don't ask me to get up in front of the class. And they would do it anyway. When I went to college and I took speech, I dreaded that class. But I had to take it. It was required. It, was, it, it just was a miserable experience. Now, I was saved in about, I don't know, somewhere between seven and eight months. I heard the gospel, responded to it. I, I wasn't discipled very well. The church we went to, you know, no churches around that I knew of were really very good at that. Didn't learn a lot. Didn't grow much. Baby Christian. It wasn't until I 
went to college, got involved with the campus ministry, and I began to actually read the Bible and try to understand it. <clears throat> We had a little bit of a doctrinal issue in the group, and we were looking for somebody within the group to maybe explain it to everybody. And I volunteered. <laughs> Afterwards, I thought, what was I thinking? <laughs> but it was something I wanted to do, something I, I was grasp, trying to grasp myself and, and, and understand, and I wanted to, to tell other people about it. So, a small group meeting, and I got through that just fine, with no fear, no intimidation. So some time went on, and a local church in town called up somebody they knew in the group and said, we would like for you to send over three of your students from your campus group. It was kind of like, uh, what was the big one? Campus Crusade. It's kind of like Campus Crusade, but it was an intervarsity Christian fellowship. You sent over three people from your group and we want them to all get up and, and, and give a word, testimony, and say whatever they want to to our church and each have about 10, 15 minutes each on Sunday morning. They asked me. <laughs> and dummy me said, all right, uh, why did I do that? <coughs> the spirit was leaving me. I didn't realize it. <coughs> Now we walked in, this was like, this was a huge church from my perspective in those days. There was probably 300 people there. But I didn't have any fear. I didn't dread it. I was looking forward to it. I was excited about it. I was experiencing something I never experienced before. When it came my turn, I walked up there. I did not have a, an ounce of nerves. Nothing nervous. Said what I needed to say. Thoroughly enjoyed it. That's when God said to me, this is what you're supposed to be doing. That gift of teaching came when I was seven or eight. I didn't know it. It would run totally counter from my personality. And when I followed the leading of the Lord, the gift was operative. Now, for me, as far as I'm concerned, from my perspective, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. All the gifts are miraculous. Some of you could probably give some sort of similar testimony about your ministry experience. It's a miraculous thing to experience the direct intervention of God into your life. Some people think that those who believe that some gifts have passed off the scene would deny all of God's power and miracles. That's not at all. It's just, in my view, those temporary gifts had a very specific purpose, bringing the church to a full and complete knowledge, full and complete revelation. That's happened. They don't need to function. These are the ones, the ones that we're left with. And we'll talk about why the, the ones grouped with them were looked at the same way. So, I'm finished. I, I actually finished five minutes early. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs>
So maybe you have a, a comment or a question, and, and, and please understand, I am, I am not foremost expert on spiritual gifts there is. I am not by any means considered an expert. Would nobody consider me an expert in original languages? Uh, I am certainly fallible, and this is a subject where it's hard to be dogmatic in some cases, but uh, I'm giving it to you the best I can. Just trying to look at what does the word say. Look. Would you go back to your slide on Ephesians 4? Because I'm struggling with getting a, my, getting a grasp of, of the point you're trying to make there. And I guess it's because you referenced the feminine versus the masculine, and that maybe it took me off on a tangent I didn't need to be on. Keep going back. I don't know, I'm trying to find it. You get there. Or the back, yeah. There we go. There we go. I, I just, I'm, I struggled and I tried to understand it, but and I'm probably the only person in the room that didn't understand it, but maybe it was the feminine versus the masculine, but I, would you sort of summarize your point there, just for sure. my benefit? Ephesians 4, 7, it says that, that Jesus gave gifts to men. Since that's the nominative case, gifts is actually the subject. He led captivity captive, and gifts were given to men. The gifts are what is given, because that's the subject. So everybody gets a gift, at least one. Is that yes, what you're saying? Yes. Uh, gifts were given to men. That's spiritual gifts. I don't think there's any question about it. That's all I'm talking about. Uh, and, and as with a lot of nouns, they use the feminine. But it's not talking about an office like down here where it's masculine. Because the offices in the church were made. Okay. I know a lot of people would not agree with my <laughs> position on that either. Now, let's go to verse Jay, 11. Jay, is that the significance between masculine and feminine? I'm sorry, what? What the significance between masculine and feminine? Well, the significance that, that I'm pointing out here is this is a, a feminine noun. It's used of things that are not feminine. Gender is sometimes used of things that are not either feminine or masculine. It's just a way of speaking. A neutral. We do that like, I don't can't think of an example. We do that in English too. The door. Okay. <laughs> and that, that's, that, that is a, that's a lightweight point here, besides the fact that it's gifts given. It's not, he gave gifts. Gifts given the subject of the sentence. It, it, it's undoubtedly, it, it's, it's clearly a point to spiritual gifts being given to men. But here, it doesn't say anything about gifts. The only hint of one is down here where it's grouped with pastors. Nothing here, it doesn't say he himself gave gifts to apostles. That's why you find the translations inserting the to be in italics because in English it doesn't make sense. You have to insert something there. He gave thee. And it sounds like he gave thee what? Well, the translators obviously understood he was giving apostles. Not gifts. 
He was giving evangelists and prophets, not gifts. And so you take that out. He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Does that, that help? Yes. Yeah. It's not easy to understand, Larry, but I, it's like I said, I've spent hours trying to get this figured out in my mind because so many people think these are gifts. Okay. And it has to do with the translation of the words. And if you're looking at an English translation, there's a good chance somewhere you're going to be thrown off course. That's why when you read your Bible and study your Bible, you'll have one you like to read from. But when you find something that is questionable, concerning, not clear, read two or three other translations. And you, some of them will get one thing right and not the other and vice versa. Say, well, how do I know which is right? Okay, well, that's just a beginning point to try to figure out which is right and dig deeper. But, because uh, I would read this and say, okay, yeah. <laughs> that'd be totally off. But if, if you understand the way that I describe it, hopefully the way I'm describing it, is that he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave <coughs> pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying the body of Christ. I've chosen to use the word offices, which I think is legitimate here. He gave those offices. He put those offices in place. Now, obviously, he supplied gifted men to fill those offices. But think about it. The apostles had many gifts. Apostle isn't a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a recognized individuals that had many gifts. Uh, prophets obviously had the gift of prophecy. That's, you know, given. Evangelists we had to talk about. But it's, I suggested they have the same gift as the pastor. I just wanted to encourage all of us here, because just like yourself, sometimes we think, what are we good at? What are we good at? That's my gifting. What am I good at? And God called you to do something that you were not good at. So it was a miraculous gifting of the Holy Spirit to do that. And where I truly believe wherever the Lord puts us, he's going to gift us for that position or that job or that service or whatever it is so we don't have to worry about what I'm good at or what I'm not good at just yeah trust the Lord that if he puts you there he's going to equip you to do what he called you to do and we talked about pastors needing teaching gifts and elders needing teaching gifts and there's different ways that that is utilized but there's people that are not in the offices that have that gift there's people that are not pastors there are people that are not elders that are teachers and there you have that gift and I think there's some people in those offices that are not gifted that way that shouldn't be in those offices. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> uh, anybody else have a question or just want to add something? Maybe something's not clear or maybe something that you think I've overlooked? When is your book coming out? <laughs> Just to give you some idea, I've been since the first of December trying to edit a portion of two chapters. It's just slow. I, I'm editing, I think, the last part that I'm going to edit. 
when it comes out, I mean, if I self-publish it, it'll come out fairly quickly. Just get some more editorial work on it. I hope to get a publisher, so I will try that for a while. That's kind of a slow. I, I have an idea for you for a okay. moment. <laughs> She's my neighbor. She actually publishes Har Harvest. Oh, yeah. Harvest Publishing. She's, uh, she's incredible. She does Christian publishing. She does a lot. Wow, that'd be great. Yeah, so, yeah, going. I can give you that contract. My phone's turned off right now, but uh, <laughs> well, I'll write it down. Uh, I can write it in the post. Yeah, but to answer your question, I, I don't know when, but I hope this summer. And, uh, what I've noted previously is I couldn't find a publisher or two of my old books, and I, I published them myself. And then I found a publisher I thought they might fit with, and I actually sent the books to the publisher, and they said, yeah, we'll publish them. And I had to take my self-published work off the market at that point. I might, I might even have to do that. So. Well, I'll compliment you that I've read a couple of your books on prayer and, and sharing, you know, the evangelism. And your speaking style comes out in your writing style. It's very easy to read. Uh, it's not complicated at all for a layperson, so I compliment you on on that. And I, I'm sure this will be true with this as well. That, that's what I really strive for, to make it understandable for everybody, but at the same time, for pastors and people that are studying the seminary or to pick it up too and, and understand. If I mention something grammatically in the Greek, I try to explain it in the English. This is the most technical. The other two books that you refer to are way less technical than this one, got to be, just because of the subject. Anybody, anybody else? Well, I have studied gifts before, but it's never been this biblically in depth. It's mostly been these are the gifts. Now let's take a test. <laughs> She's right. She's so right. They're trying to brush you into taking that test and getting you to work. I've been down that road. She can say the last part. That's exactly what it is. Test Forty years ago, and there's some value in that. If a person is mature enough to really self-evaluate themselves, it may be helpful. But unfortunately, it's given a lot of immature believers who very very efficient in evaluating themselves. Uh, at the end of this, I'm going to talk about how do you find out what your gift is. Yeah, but it's not yes. taking the test. <laughs> <laughs> it comes right out of Romans 12. The process. It begins with serving God and following God. You're totally dedicated to God. If you do that, He'll get you where you need to go. And He'll direct you and lead you. And it's some, usually some point after the fact, after you're using your gift for a long time, you suddenly realize, kind of, kind of,